Hi, this is Jody Rollins, and this is a trigger warning. The following program contains stories of incest and molestation and may not be suitable for all listeners. Please be advised. Thank you. When I think about doing interviews for this show, I think about doing difficult topics to talk about and things that need to be talked about. And this interview is one of those topics. As hard as it is, as icky as it makes us feel, we need to talk about this. Because the shame, the secrets, the hiding, the fear, and the life-changing power that incest and molestation carry can only be stopped if we're aware, we talk about it, and we do something about it. So today, I'm trying to do my part. Let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk, Stories and Observations Beyond Small Talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins, and <laughs> my voice is like a half of an octave lower because I've been sick. <clears throat> this interview that I'm about to play for you guys was recorded back on November 2nd, and it was supposed to be out a week or so later. But then um, we were so grateful that my stepson got a cancer-free diagnosis after all of his treatments, so yay for that. And all of the family was here in town and everything, so I just didn't have time to create and edit and do all the things I needed to do to put the show together. Then it was Thanksgiving and family was in town. Then my husband got sick and then... Um, I'm trying to like not get sick and not get the baby sick. And then she got sick and then I got sick and here we are. And so I was like, well, I could wait till my voice sounds normal or I could put the show out. And I think the show must go on. Um, I've been promoting this interview, talking about this interview. And now I think I can't wait any longer because I think it's a really important topic. And as you heard at the beginning of the cold open, there's a trigger warning because today we're talking about incest and molestation. And it's such an uncomfortable topic that nobody wants to talk about it. I don't like talking about it. It leaves you with that icky feeling. It's um, scary because you don't want it to happen to your kids. And people I know that have had some sort of unwelcome touch or any kind of incest or molestation, it has in many ways destroyed their lives. And with the woman that I interviewed, her name is Kashan Chambers, I really wanted her to tell her story 
because it's a story of resilience. And it, she didn't let what happened to her destroy her entire life. And it so easily could have. There are hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions. We don't know because so many people take these secrets to their grave. It's uncomfortable to tell. It's uncomfortable to acknowledge. It's uncomfortable for people who are being told to accept. But you have to say something. And Kashan did. And what you will hear is a very sad story. But like I said, she didn't let it completely destroy her life. She found a way to have resilience, to go on with her life in a positive way. And that is not always the case. Like I said, between people keeping it secret, um, there's another podcast that I listen to and one of the, it's like a group of guys and, and um, one of the guys who was on the show ended up committing suicide um, by an on purpose drug overdose. And what finally came out was he had been molested. He and his brother had been molested, I believe by his uncle for years and he just couldn't tell his father and it ate him up his brother commits suicide and then he commits suicide i mean years of drugs both of them and then that's how their fate ended and now this mother has no children and it's such a terrible story because when you are young and someone touches you in such a sacred way, a way that you're not supposed to be touched and you don't know how to deal with it, it really changes your brain chemistry. And they've done study after study after study because kids blame themselves for everything. If mom and dad get a divorce, kids blame themselves. If mom and dad are fighting, kids blame themselves. If something traumatic happens, kids blame themselves. And so oftentimes, not only are they stuck in this position where they have to keep a secret, they don't feel like it's safe enough to tell. And and sometimes the, um, the uh, perpetrator will threaten these children with bodily harm. I will kill you. I will kill your parents if you ever tell. And so they're in fear for sometimes months, years, decades, and they don't tell. And then sometimes when a victim does speak up and does tell, they're met with God knows what of a response, dismissal, um, disbelief, shock, but denial. You know, sometimes the parent or the authority, uh, authority doesn't believe the person or doesn't want to believe the person. It becomes he said, she said, or she said, she said, or he said, he said, whatever. And so the person who it has happened to closes up and says, okay, they didn't believe me. I just have to get on with my life. There are so many stories like that. So I knew that I had to do this interview. I watch a ton of documentaries. You guys know if you listen to this show, I love documentaries. But there's a through line in so many of them 
about molestation and incest, about how deeply it affects the lives of adults, something that happened as children. And so knowing that this is an uncomfortable topic and knowing that people don't like to talk about it, how is anything going to change? How are we going to get better as a society with dealing with this? It needs to come out from behind the shadows and the secrets, and people need to feel safe to speak up. Children need to feel safe and ready to speak up and to be heard. Your child needs to know, in my opinion, that if anyone touches them the way they don't want to be touched, they have to tell, no matter what, no matter what the threats of violence or anything, they have to know. I hope to be able to teach my baby who is almost 16 months old that, you know, when she's old enough to understand that no matter what anybody says, that that is her body and no one is allowed to trespass on her body without her permission. And if they do, tell. Tell me, tell her dad, tell her siblings, tell her teachers, keep talking till somebody hears you. Now, I know damn well I'm going to hear her. But for every child out there, sometimes the parents don't want to believe. Don't want to believe it's the uncle or grandparent or sister or neighbor or nephew, whatever. So today, I guess the bottom line for me is twofold. I wanted to really communicate the point that you have to tell and you have to keep talking till somebody hears you and understands your needs. Keep telling, keep sharing your story until somebody hears you. Whether it happened when you were six, whether it happened last week, whatever it is, I have a lot of young listeners in this audience, keep telling. And then the second thing is for anyone that has a relative or a friend or someone in their family that tells them about this, believe the person until you know otherwise, believe the person and support them and do whatever it takes. Go to the authorities, you know, get this person prosecuted against. So many times families brush it under the rug, you know, we're just going to keep them apart and that's all that matters. But the thing is, these perpetrators don't just do it once and then, you know, sorry, I just hit my microphone because I get so upset. They don't just do it once and then, you know, brush their hands and okay, that was it. If they did it to your daughter or your niece or your nephew or your son, they're going to do it to somebody else. So you have to tell and you have to do something about it. Like I said, bring it out of the shadows and get this person in jail or whatever it takes, not just away from your child. I feel that we as as a society have a responsibility to, what is it they say, it takes a village? If something awful like this happens to my daughter, I can't just say, I'm only focused on my daughter, let's keep the perpetrator away, and we'll make sure that my daughter gets therapy, and we'll just move on with our lives. We have to make sure that that guy doesn't do it to other people too. 
And that's not what people generally do. So I would hope by listening to this interview, maybe you'll consider listening to someone who tells you this story because chances are someone listening to my voice right now either has heard that from a relative, will hear that from a relative, or knows someone who has or will. It's that prevalent in our society. And it's disgusting. And as I've said on this show before, can you imagine if a husband and wife had all of these issues and all of these problems, and instead of discussing them, they just shoved them under the rug and said, let's just not talk about them. Do they go away? Are the problems solved? Are they fixed? Let's just keep everything in secret. No, it festers and causes more issues and more problems. And that's the same with incest and molestation. We have to talk about it. It makes most of us sick to talk about it. This interview, I have to tell you, I don't even think it's one of the better interviews I've done because the subject matter is so uncomfortable and I wanted to respect Kashan and I wanted to be very delicate and make sure I created a safe space for her to tell her story. And it's so shocking at the same time that it's hard to just, you know, be Jody, do your job, make sure you have like a through line and it's carrying and, you know, the technical stuff and make sure, you know, you're asking the right questions. Like all of that stuff is in my head but I'm listening to this story and I'm just angry. I'm angry about what happened to her. So I did my best and I think she did a wonderful job of sharing her story, her truth. And I can't imagine how hard that is to do, even though now she's an adult woman and all that happened to her was many, 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 many years ago. So all of that being said, let's play the interview. Again, this was November 2nd, and um, it's a tough topic. And I hope you'll listen with an open heart and maybe share this particular episode with somebody who needs to hear it. That it wasn't your fault. And if the adults around you didn't protect you or didn't believe you or didn't listen to you or didn't create a place where you felt like you could tell, none of that is your fault. And so for anyone listening today that this has happened to, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. So with no further ado, let's start the interview and then I'll come back at the end of the interview and um, wrap up with final thoughts. Here we go. So now I want to bring on Kashan and kind of have her tell you her story. And again, trigger warning, this is obviously a very serious subject. And the reason I wanted to do this interview was because 
there are so many stories like Kashan's and so many things happen to young children and they go unheard, unsupported. And I hope with my little show, maybe this interview could reach, who knows, a parent, a child, a relative, a friend, somebody who will be in some way in this situation and be able to handle it better, support the child better, do whatever they need to do, or if it's they themselves, just to see the story of resilience that I think Kashan has to tell. So Kashan, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. So if you could kind of share what happened from the very beginning, how old were you when this abuse took place? Yeah, so I was about um, maybe around seven Mm -hmm. um, when it first started. Um, it only and it was only a one-time thing. Although, um, and it, you know, for me, I, I'm always like, well, I always diminish it by saying it's one time. But I know um, in therapy, she said whether it's one or multiple, um, it's always the same impact. So, um, but it, it was um, one time when I was about seven. I was at my grandparents' house. Um, I used to always go there um, every summer and because my grandmother worked in um, the school district, she was always off in the summer. So um, like a lot of um, her nieces and nephews would come over there. So I had two cousins um, that would come over um, during the time that they were out as well. And um, just this one day um, we're watching TV in my grandparents' room. I don't know. There had to be a reason why we were in her room as opposed to being able to come out. I mean, she had company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I mean, and they molested me. So. <laughs> um, and so you were around seven. How old were the, it was two cousins, correct? Yes, they were teenagers. Teenagers, like 14, 17, 19? Yeah, like about 14, 15. Yeah. And they molested you. And what was your sense? I mean, you're seven. What did you think was going on? Did you know? Um, I knew that something was not right. I knew it was wrong. Um, I knew I didn't like it. Um, at seven years old, you can't really comprehend what's all going on. Um, so it's I remember feeling like I'm going to get in trouble. This is my fault. So that was, that was the one. That was the first thing that you felt was this is bad. This is wrong. I'm going to get in trouble. And it's my fault. Yeah. At seven years old. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I just can't even imagine. Was there any part of you that was like, these guys are bad. They're wrong. No. They should get in trouble. Not at all. I, it was, fully I put the blame on myself um and it could have just been um the things you're taught when you're younger and that you don't really and I don't think anyone really thinks about like the impact it has like um putting the responsibility on kids like saying you know don't you gotta you can't wear certain things in front of this company um don't sit too close to this person. Um, 
almost like making you be the responsible one as opposed to just being a kid because really the adults should be the one um, that shouldn't look at kids in certain ways or, or shouldn't be inappropriate with kids. Absolutely. But, um, hearing those cues as, you know, a young person, um, if something were to happen, it's because you did something and that's how I felt like it was something I did. I caused this to happen. It's just, that's just so heartbreaking. And so did you tell anyone you're seven years old, like what happened next? Um, I didn't tell anybody. Um, Did they threaten you, by the way? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did they say don't tell or else? Yeah. So if I should, I could not say nothing to anybody. I, um, I would be in trouble. I would be punished um basically so um i kept my mouth shut (laughs) but um at the same time i don't remember this but um my grandmother once told me after i confided in her that she knew something was off because after that i didn't want to go back to my grandparents house i would cry and scream and not want to go didn't want to go back And so I know when we did our pre-interview, you said there's a time period that you just don't remember. Mm -hmm. How from, do you think it was when it started or when this molestation happened and then this kind of the years to follow or when did that happen? Um, so I, so I remember, um, I remember the act. Um, I couldn't tell you what happened after. I couldn't tell you, I I feel like there, and I feel like there is a chunk of my childhood that was missing um, that I just don't remember certain things um, about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be, it could just be that maybe I blocked it because of trauma. Um, but, or it could just be, you know, still a kid, certain aspects of my life during that time, maybe not have been that relevant for me to remember. But yeah. um, there is, a period of time where I just don't, I don't remember. (laughs) And so after this had happened to you, you're seven years old, did you just try to go back to life as normal? I mean, was this something that was haunting you or did you? Um, Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) uh, No, I was just going to say, how did you handle it? I mean, that's a lot to handle for a seven-year-old. Um, I guess I, 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 don't remember, but I'm guessing I try to go about life as normal. Um, mm-hmm. Try to push it out of my mind. Um, obviously, it doesn't happen that way. Um, yeah. And um, it didn't quite hit me until I was about a preteen. I was maybe about 12. Mm-hmm. 12. Um, and um, just feeling depressed or going through depression. Um, obviously I didn't know what depression was or the meaning that's not something, um, that was ever talked about growing up, Um, but I knew I felt sad all the time. Um, I knew that inside I just felt, felt rotten in a sense. Um, I felt like life would be better if I wasn't around. Um, and I attempted suicide. You attempted suicide at 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And 
what exactly happened? Because I, I know you shared this story with me. Can you kind of walk us through? Because it's yeah. to me, it's just it's just it's mind boggling and so tragic that someone so young feels that they shouldn't be here. But go ahead. Yeah. So um, I remember writing a note um, to my mom, um, apologizing, um, and I took an entire bottle of Vicodin. I honestly didn't know what I was taking. I just knew there were her pills. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I didn't want to feel pain when I died. So I thought, well, if I take a bottle of pills, I'll just go to sleep and never wake up again. Mm-hmm. And um, not knowing that's not necessarily how it works. Um, your body fills all the things. <laughs> and um, I remember laying there and I remember my heart beating super fast. I had no control over my breathing. I was shaking like really bad and um, it scared me. And I had to tell my mom that I had to go to the doctor and um, I had to explain why. And um, so that's when she found the note. Um, she saw her posters on. And so she called um, 911, the ambulance came um, I ended up going to the hospital. Um, by the time I got to the hospital, I think I threw everything up. Um, and um, I remember sitting there, and I had some family there, um, grandparents, um, my parents, um, my aunt um, were there. And um, at Kaiser, uh, they, I don't know if I'm, to say that, but yeah, know, you, you can say um, whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> um, they, you know, took me in. Um, they wouldn't allow me to leave until I saw a, a, a psychiatrist. And um, I sat in the room with the psychiatrist and still not wanting to share what happened. Was there anything in the note, by the way? Like, did you say, no. by the way, this happened to me, mom? Mm-mm. You just kept it a secret. This was going to be something you didn't bring up again. It was just pushing it down in a way. Yeah, I felt like um, I didn't want to get them in trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, at this point, I'm older, and now I'm thinking I don't want to get them in trouble. Did you see them um, between 7 and 12 years old? I mean, I know you probably don't remember everything because that's what you said, but do you have any idea if you did see them, like at family functions or anything, these two cousins? Um, probably. I don't remember if I did or didn't. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that they were there, and I probably went to a different side of the house. Right. Um, I know um, in their house there was a spare bedroom, and when I was over there, I spent most of my time locked in that room. Wow. And so when you were in the hospital and you're there talking to a psychiatrist, you're 12 years old, you had just attempted suicide, taken this bottle of pills, your mom has to rush you to the hospital. What does everybody think that you were doing? I mean, a 12-year-old, why did they ask you what's going on and what did you tell them? So they did. Um, I just said, I probably, I said something probably like, um, oh, you know, I was getting in trouble or I said something to that nature like I was just getting in trouble a lot and that's the reason why I just you know thought it would be better 
if I just made up something. Were you actually getting in trouble at, at school or anywhere? Were you getting in trouble? Um, at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, I kind of, um, was walking to my, the beat of my own drum. So I was just doing, um, everything I wasn't supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did get in trouble often. Um, but, um, not that not being the reason, um, but me just using that because I thought that would probably be the most believable. I'm and, guessing it's the only reason why I would say something to that nature. But And did um, everyone, not, I'm sorry, did everyone believe you? Like the doctor was like, okay, well, that's a problem. I don't know. I don't remember. I uh -huh. know I went home. I know I wasn't told anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I know there was a conversation had with my mom present um with with the psychologist um and them discussing you know what you know what we were just discussing um that's all i remember about that do you remember if you felt thankful like i'm alive i didn't die okay this is a new chance or were you sort of more depressed like that even that didn't work out for me or do you have any recollection um if anything i walked away um feeling upset about the way i made my family so i remember um even as i dealt with depression as an adult um even when i wanted to give up i remember going back to the reaction my family had and how much pain that caused them and knowing I would never want to be the person that caused that much pain on them again. And so you so, had all of this trauma that had happened to you and now you have guilt on top of it. Mm -hmm. You already have yeah. shame. Now you have guilt, you have depression. That's a lot for an adult to carry and you're not even a teenager. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So, So there you were, you felt bad before you tried to commit suicide. And now it sounds like you probably felt worse. So then what happened next? Um, so after that, I mean, um, I know uh, my, my grandmother kept pressing me. Um, she knew something was going on um so she just kept asking me questions about it um talking to me about it and um eventually i confided in her and told her um what happened and um i remember her crying and yeah. she um that's when she told me like i knew something was wrong because you know, I then, you know, at one point just out of nowhere would just cry and scream about having to go to my grandmother's house and not wanting to um, go over there. And I used to love going over there. Um, so yeah. it was just so out of character for me at that time um, to have that different reaction. And she knew something was going on. Right. But um, obviously, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> Did you feel a sense of relief? Like, oh, 
I kind of let this out or how did you feel? Or if you remember? Um, I don't remember. I remember um, the one feeling I do remember having was panicking that she was going to say something and then we were going to get in trouble. The, um, the both I, of you would get in trouble in your mind. All, all three of us. Yeah. Oh. Two of them. So okay. um, they would get in trouble and then I would get in trouble. And so um, I panicked. And then um, then I thought, like, my family is going to be mad at me. I went through, like, a lot of this. And I remember, like, making her, like, I like, promised me you won't say anything. I don't want anyone to know. Um, and she said, she, you know, she won't tell anybody she she told you she wouldn't tell anybody sorry about the feedback there um and did she in any way i mean again i don't know if you'll remember maybe not specifics but was there any sort of counsel towards you like just so you know this isn't your fault i'm so sorry you went through this this you didn't deserve it or anything to sort of reframe what had happened to you um i don't think so um, so she, it was guilt. Yeah. That, um, it would be the emotion, um, that I would say she felt mm-hmm. probably guilt from not doing more. Um, I know she expressed that verbally, um, for not pressuring like my mom to look into something, you know, going on, um, not speaking up. Um, so I think within that moment, she probably felt guilty, but there was never, um, but we never really talked about it in depth. Um, but also, I don't know if she knew what to do at that time either. So, um, so you you made her promise not to tell, and as far as you know, she didn't. And did you guys talk about it ever again? No. And how you how old were you then? Was this like a little bit after you were twelve, or? So, this was a little after, um, a little bit after I committed suicide. Or yeah. committed suicide. I'm sorry, I it's No, it's you don't have anything to apologize for. Um, so then you just kind of got on with your life and didn't yeah, tell. I, yeah, I just went on to continue doing teenage things. <laughs> um, I. Yeah, I, I I don't remember anything out of the ordinary happening after that. Um, I not until later, um, I would say. But as far as the teenagers go, I think it was fairly normal yeah. um, as a teenager life should be. Um, it probably didn't really come back out again until after I was raped. And then that's kind of when everything just kind of started flooding back into me. So you were raped, and how old were you when that happened? So I was 18. Um, I went to um, a friend's, uh, well, my friend, um, she, she, her dad was married to my cousin, so at the time, I guess she was like family, so she was like my cousin at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew she was my friend first before that um, happened. And so um, she asked me to go with her to this guy's house that she was dating because he had a brother and 
I guess she wanted me to be like her winged woman. So I was like, that's fine. Um, and so when they were, you know, sitting somewhere out, out of my view, um, in his room, we were sitting down and um, he asked me if I wanted something to drink. And so I was like, sure. Um, never been an alcohol drinker and I don't even know why I say sure. But I took the drink and um, I, I do remember for certain I had like one or two sips. Not enough that should have knocked me out the way that it did. But it did. And um, I just remember waking up and he was on top of me and um i remember closing my eyes real tight and it's like i just need to go back to sleep and this will be over and um the next day but super early in the morning i got up i um went to the bathroom i you know tried to wash whatever ickiness i felt um and I waited for her outside and for us to leave. And that was that. And so, so you assumed that, I mean, obviously if you only had a couple sips, he altered the drink in some way. You, I do you're feel basically, like he did. yeah, he's knocked you out. And then you sort of come to at some point and he's raping you. And then, yeah. I mean, that's nightmarish. You, pro- you don't know what to do. So, yeah. So and then, even then, like thinking back, I'm like still thinking like it's my fault. I did this. I should have never drank the drink. And at the time, I don't even think I even thought of it as rape because I was like, well, I don't know what happened when I because I don't remember any of anything. So it's like maybe I did something. Um, so again, you're blaming I yourself. I, I blamed myself. Yeah. <sighs> So then what happened? You're 18, you're raped. You've been through all this stuff in your childhood. Where- um, then I first, <laughs> I really thought I was taking, at that point I was like, I'm taking my power back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I kind of went down a very promiscuous path. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking like, I'm, being empowered right. because um is the weirdest thing it's not empowerment but in, in my mind i felt like it was um but then also in my mind i felt like maybe that's all i'm worth um yeah and that's so, that's not um, uncommon you know uh people in situations similar to yours that is like you said in some way it's like you are trying to find a way to make sense of this and and bring control and power back into your life but it doesn't work unfortunately it does not (laughs) and um the more i some i think before it all kind of came to a head um it was just i felt it, I just felt worse after every interaction I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went down a path of, I want to kill myself again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew I couldn't do that because I knew um, what 
with seeing that brought upon my family mm-hmm. and not wanting to put them through that. And then I think I just fell into a dark hole. I just, I went to work and I came home and I stayed in my room and I wouldn't leave. Um, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, and it was just like every feeling I had, um, I, the best, like the my only analogy I have is that, you know, you stuff everything in a closet until it gets full and eventually it'll bust open and everything just comes at you. Yeah. And I felt like that's what I did with my feelings. I was stuffing it until I couldn't anymore and it just all just overwhelmed me. And um, I just felt like I felt stuck. Um, but then I went back to church and um, and this was all when I was going through therapy. So it's not like I knew something was wrong. I did go to therapy. Um, I know they wanted to prescribe me antidepressants, but I didn't want to take medication, um, which is the silliest thing. But in my mind, because of the way I was raised, you know, I'm supposed I'm supposed to have feelings and I don't want to mask these feelings, right. but I want to feel better at the same time. But it, it was, yeah. Were you telling <laughs> your therapist what had happened to you when you were seven? I did. I explained everything to my therapist. Um, everything that has gone on. Um, all trauma wounds just open. Right. Um, because I wanted to feel better. I didn't want to feel sad all the time. Um, and although talking to the therapist helped put a lot of things in perspective, like going to therapy for me was, so I, it's like I had all these feelings, but therapy helped sort me, like allow me to help sort through these feelings and understand, um, you know, those those feelings that I was having and, um, you know, those questions that I had answering those. Um, but still I didn't feel happy. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. felt very sad. Um, but then I went to church, um, and I hadn't been in church for a while because, you know, I felt like, you know, I got to a point where I was like, are you even real? Do you even care about me? And I'm sure like, meaning God, like, is God real? And does God care about you? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, my, it was a church I grew up in. So my aunt still goes to that church and, um, not even never, never once told my aunt anything that was going on. And, um, I went to church and then she texted me, um, I was like, I don't know what's going on or if anything's going on, but something's moving me to tell you that no matter what, you need to forgive yourself. And um, just so randomly, I, she texted you this in mm-hmm, church out of the blue. Wow. It was like, I just feel moved to just say, you need to forgive yourself, whatever's going on. Um, you know, I don't know but this is something I feel like maybe you need to hear. Did that hit you and like a ton of bricks? Like, whoa. It did. It did because um, when you're 
when people talk about forgiveness, they always say, oh, you got to forgive the people who wronged you for mm -hmm. you to move on and to let go. Um, but for me, I think I was more upset with myself than anybody else. Um, and I think I had to find a way to forgive myself and know that it's okay and that it wasn't my fault. And, um, you know, to let go of the fear of getting someone in trouble or someone being mad at me for saying these things. Um, so, yeah, and I, I um, took a lot of prayer <laughs> and yeah. a lot um, to walk through. How but, old were you at um, the time that you had started going back to church? Like 26, 27. And by then, had you... You've been through therapy, you're starting to go to church. Did you ever sit your mom down and, you know, your family members or somebody and say, just so you know, this is what happened. I told grandma, nothing happened. So I did talk to my mom, but it was years prior because mm -hmm. um, I talked about it in therapy. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember telling her um, what happened and her reaction was, well, you guys were just kids. You guys Almost were just like, kids. That was her reaction. Mm -hmm. They were like Almost six or seven things. years older. Mm -hmm. And so did she look into it or ask you any more yeah. questions or, you know, burst into tears and say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry you had to go through this. This makes all the sense why you tried to commit suicide. Oh, my God, this is so terrible. Let me wrap my arms around you and try to make it better. Some version yeah. of that. No, no version of that. <laughs> so she just said you guys were kids and then, you know, went and made the grocery list? Like, Yeah, just, you know, you guys were kids, you know. Um, you, you guys were kids at the time. Yeah. Just her response. What she did after that, I don't remember because I was just, just like, okay, whatever. Um, but it, I remember talking about it in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. And I mean, I don't mean to be flip about it. It's just heartbreaking that you have gone through all of these things and you finally find a way to speak to your mom about it. And it's sort of like, nah, it's that, you know, you guys were kids. You know, it's not like you guys were two and three and you're in the bathtub going, what's that? I don't have that. Like, that's yeah. when you're just kids. Yeah. Ugh, it's just heartbreaking. And so how have you been able to move forward? You've had therapy, you started going to church, and you're still sad at that point. What happened to kind of bring you out of it? Um, I, I think just um, trusting, just trusting God, honestly. Um, therapy was great in the sense of it allowed me to figure out my feelings. Mm -hmm. But as far as the happiness came, or when it when the happiness started coming through, was when um, I started rebuilding my relationship with God and just um, having that spiritual connection. To be honest, um, it wasn't. I it was. It it helped. It. it actually walked me through a lot and just even just sharing my story um talking about it um it's easy like of course when I first started talking about it, it wasn't easy I was a ball of tears and you know a mess but now I can talk through it because um 
I know that I'm not the only person that's gone through it. Um, even like in my family, um, there are other people in my family that I've talked to, not with this particular set of cousins, but that has also gone through, um, you know, other family members molesting them when they were younger. And, um, you know, and maybe hope, you know, hoping my story helps their, their journey um, as they're figuring out you know, whatever for trauma they've had. Right. Um, so, um, so yeah, I think, and after, you know, after I started going back to church, it took, it took a while, but eventually I was a happy person. I was felt like myself, um, whatever myself felt like, um, cause it really felt like a new self. Right. Um, and just, um, trying to heal wounds. Um, with the ones that I felt wrong to me. I think um, the first, the only person that actually validated my feelings um, was my dad, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. fair. Um, so this is going to sound so weird, but I was watching a show um, called Fatherless Daughters. And, um, <laughs> and I was drinking wine and I got in my feelings and I just said you know what I'm just gonna tell my dad everything I felt and how old were you at that point I was about 28 (laughs) you know we have to take a break real quick I'm sorry to interrupt you got to take a break but I want to hear what you know what you were able to finally tell your dad and what his response was and then I also want to ask you how life is today and does this haunt you? Do you still see the cousins? Like, do you just move forward and it's just something in the past? So I want to kind of check in with how life is today. So stay with me. I'll be right back with Kashan. Hey, it's Jody again. Want to get in touch with the show? You can simply leave me a voicemail. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes that says leave a voicemail and start talking. You can also write me at bigtimesmalltalkpodcast at gmail.com or get in touch with me through my socials at Jody's Box on Twitter or at Jody Rollins on Instagram. Don't forget to drop me a follow at both places and be sure to check out my Insta stories for all the latest details and information about episodes as well as episode sneak peeks. So one last question for you. Have you written that written review for the show yet? Have you clicked those five stars? Have you clicked subscribe or follow? And have you shared this show with your friends, your family, on your social media? Okay, that's more than one question, but help a sister out. Share the show, subscribe, follow. Please click those five stars and leave a written review. It really helps a sister out. Thank you. Okay, if you're like me, you're already thinking about Christmas shopping. Yes, I know, I am that person. I like to plan ahead, but it's already October, right? And I do have friends and family members who have fall and wintertime birthdays. Plus, I like to shop for myself, too. And one of my favorite places to shop is Cozy Earth. I mean, I'm not much of an 
in-person shopper anymore, but I shop online at Cozy Earth because it's just bing, bam, boom, pick what you want, check out, you're done. And it's just easy. And I love Cozy Earth and I've been working with them for several months. And in fact, I got from them a loungewear set. It's navy blue, it's a crew neck, it's got the matching pant. And um, I actually did a uh, review of the outfit and the company. It's on my YouTube. I did it last summer. And if you want to check out the review, it's at Jody Rollins on YouTube and you can see the whole thing. But I promised you guys in that review that I would let you know about this outfit. Did it fade? Did it pill? Was it disfigured and stretched out after a while? Did it look kind of worn? No, I have washed it multiple times, dried it multiple times. I, my baby has hung on it. I have a dog with pet hair. I've traveled with it. I've crumpled it up. You name it. I'm not even exaggerating because I would only talk about a company that I believe in and the products that I believe in. It no joke looks exactly like the day I got it. So if you guys want to do a little online shopping at Cozy Earth, I have got a discount code for you. Just go and click on the link in my show notes, a special link, and then use the discount code that's there for you. It's CE dash big time. That's CE as in Cozy Earth dash big time. But you got to use the link. I almost said code. You got to use the link in my show notes in order to get 40% off. Not just 40% off of this or that in a small section, 40% off of every single thing you purchase at Cozy Earth. So I highly recommend it. I mean, everything is cozy. They don't just have loungewear. They also have pajamas, bath, bedding, really cozy and luxurious sheets, all kinds of gifts and stuff for yourself. So click the link in my show notes, use CE-BigTime, and you will get 40% off of everything on Cozy Earth. I mean, Cozy Earth has been on Oprah's favorite things list for four years running. So it can't be that bad, can it? I mean, it is, it's really cool. So if you're thinking about getting some of your Christmas shopping done, I highly recommend you check out Cozy Earth. And don't forget to click on the link. Welcome back. So before the break, Kashan had told us she finally sort of shared with her father what had happened. You were having a couple of drinks, you were feeling emotional, and something compelled you to pick up the phone and call your dad. And you were in your 20s at this point. So what happened? Okay, so I actually texted him. <laughs> oh, you texted him, okay. I was. It was easier for me to put um, food I'm a better communicator by um, in written form versus me trying to communicate verbally. So um, I sent him a long text message about um, about how our relationship was because um, during the time um, my my dad was he was a young father and um, I guess I, it, he was instilled. This is from what he told me that I'm um, you know. To be the best dad, you gotta provide. You're, you gotta be a provider. Right. And so he was like, "Well, that's what I did." And um, so he, we didn't have like a personal relationship. 
And um, so, yeah, so I told him about how I felt about that and then how, because it was his parents' house. So when he would take me over there and leave me, I was like, I feel like if you would have never left me there, this would have never happened to me. And um, just this long, drawn-out text message. And so um, so he called me, and then we had a conversation about it. And um, he was like, I never knew what happened. I'm so sorry. Um, you know, uh, he apologized. He wanted to know who it was, um, but he was super angry about it. And yeah. And it's so sad, but even at 28, I still didn't want to reveal who it was. I mean, you'd been holding on, holding on, holding on for all those years. It's sort of all you knew. That's how it went. You know, how your brain processed it was just keep quiet about this. Yeah. Mm. And I I still did. It was like, it doesn't matter who, just know, um, you know. Although I told my mom, so I don't know why I didn't. I probably just didn't tell my dad because it was my dad's, like, immediate family versus were they still married at the time no they have been separated for a long time okay i was gonna say maybe they told each other and never told you or but probably not no (laughs) so you finally at 26 years old get the response that most of us would have wanted for you at seven Mm -hmm. Finally, mm-hmm. was there a sense of mm-hmm. like relief from that? And also the fact that you're building on a relationship that wasn't there. You know, he was, I'm paying the bills, I'm working, do, 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 here I am. But now you have this emotional response. How did you feel after this whole heavy, big phone call? I felt heard, actually. Um, and that was new for you. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that yeah, contributed to accountability? Well, that's nice. Do you think that that helped you heal and forgive yourself, even if, just in the smallest way, just having somebody respond and be on your side? I do. Um, I always, um, like now that I'm older, um, it being my dad, we always have this conversation because I always tell him, um, because I trust, I talk to my dad about everything now. Um, and I tell him I, I, you know, cause I know he, me, me and my mom, I love my mom to death and I know she probably did what she only knew what to do with mm-hmm. the information that I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, as an adult now, I do now in my forties, <laughs> um, you know, I've had conversations with her, um, about, you know, how I felt about, you know, you know, certain things of that aspect. Um, like her response? Know, like you've talked to her about how she responded? Now that you're... I didn't talk to her about how she responded, but more so how, like what I went through or okay. how I felt right. when, you know, going through that stuff and the the cause or the, or the, um, the you know, everything that happened after all that took place you know, how it affected my life. Um, so having those conversations, um, but um, the one thing I will say is, at least when it comes to, I trust my dad um, 
more emotionally than I do my mom. So even when I have those conversations, it's a lot less vulnerable than it is with my dad because I trust him more emotionally. It almost sounds like, you know, I try to find the sort of positive or the gifts. I'm a person that believes that there are gifts in every rotten, horrible, terrible situation. There's always things that you can point to that may or may not have happened if the bad thing didn't happen. And it sounds like you had this, you know, kind of disconnected relationship with your dad and that when you finally opened up, now you have what sounds like a beautiful relationship with your dad. Oh yeah, 100% I do. I mean, that's um, that's a gift right there for sure. Yeah. It's, so there's, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Feel free. I'm sorry. No, there was, yeah, there was a lot that came out of it. Um, you know, although there was the trauma, um, there was the beauty and the healing. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, my, you know, my testimony um, when talking to people, like, even if it's not about that, someone never, never went through that, um, but maybe feeling depressed and me sharing my story. I remember I was telling um, someone I worked with, um, I was telling her all that I went through and including like why the attempted suicide and why I would never do that and I remember she was like oh my gosh like um you're you know hearing your story I haven't even gone through half of what you've gone through and it's making me want to fight even much harder because you got through it so I know I should be able to get through this so um so even just walking away with a story to tell to help someone if I can I think that's truly a beautiful thing and it is a story of resilience because here you are now, as you said, in your 40s. <laughs> but you have you have a child of your own, right? You have a daughter, I believe? Yes, a 15-year-old. God bless you. 15 is, what a fun age, <laughs> especially girls. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like, you know, you're living a full life. I mean, obviously, everybody has problems and issues and things like that that come up. But it sounds to me, and, and I'd love to hear from you, that you're able to actually, you were able to actually forgive yourself and move on and have a good life. Does it ever mm -hmm. haunt you or pop up when you least expect it? Or do you feel like you sort of have slayed that dragon or demon or whatever that saying is? Like you took care of it finally, that it doesn't haunt you or does um, it? it? It doesn't haunt me anymore. Um, mainly because I know it wasn't my fault. That's good. And I have no reason to feel guilty about it anymore or you know um it you know wasn't me it was them yeah and you know placing the onus fully on them like you know you guys were the ones responsible I, I had nothing to do with that um so yeah I um it doesn't haunt me like it used to so now um, your your closet oh, I'm sorry go ahead Oh, no, I was just going to say, I will say the only aspect of that is I know when um, my daughter was growing up, um, having conversations with her that may look different than what most people might have. Like right. when talking to her about boundaries and not allowing someone to enter their space or, you know, if they touch you inappropriately and you don't feel comfortable 
say something, you know, no one's going to get in trouble. Like, you're, you know, you would never get in trouble. And I will always defend you no matter who it is. I don't care if it is your uncle, is your, your grandfather. I don't care who it is. Like, you know, because a lot of times you hear, you think of stranger danger. Yeah. You think like, you know, cousins, uncles, like whoever. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, it sounds like even though it took you, obviously decades to get through this it sounds like the the closet where you used to stuff all the stuff maybe is a little bit more empty now may not be completely empty because we all do our thing but like the big giant (laughs) elephant that you were trying to smush into that closet can't hurt you anymore and it cannot now a little poodle yeah and it's interesting to me that you're saying the conversation that you had with your daughter might be a little different I have a one-year-old and I expect to have that same or similar conversation with her because I watch a lot of documentaries and I've had friends who have been through similar things. It is, in my opinion, an epidemic. Um, Any kind of, you know, child uh, rape, molestation, abuse, whatever you want to call it, whether it's a stranger or a family member, it is so prevalent in our society and it is not talked about enough. I believe. What would you say to somebody who may be listening right now who, you know, it it could be happening to them or maybe they never told? Is there anything that you would want to say to somebody who's listening that has been through something similar? Um, If anything, um, to forgive themselves. Like I said, you hear a lot about forgiving the people who wronged you. Never do you ever hear about forgiving yourself and yeah. um, whether or not I forgave them, I that still keeps me discussed. I, in my mind, I feel like maybe I did because I'm not holding on to hostility or resentment anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if that's because I forgave them or because I forgave myself and I freed myself from the guilt that I felt. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I really appreciate you sharing your story because I get people who DM me and message me and say that different, you know, interviews or topics that I've talked about, something resonated with them or stuck with them or they learned from it or it touched them, whatever the thing is. And my hope is that, yes, obviously, if someone's ever been through something like this or maybe is still going through something like this, that maybe this show will help them just a little bit at the very least, but also to help parents and sisters and brothers and grandparents and anybody who someday suspects something or is told something that maybe they'll respond in a better way than what happened to you. And maybe they'll, they'll pay closer attention instead of, you know, a lot of times people will say things like, well, I kind of thought, but nah, you know, listen to that spidey sense. You know, sometimes you can tell when something is off. Kids will let you know, not always, but oftentimes, and sometimes you can just sense things. So my hope is that by you sharing your story, somebody out there listening will have a better experience because of you. So I really, really appreciate you coming on the show and talking. Is there anything else you wanted to share before we kind of wrap up here? I always like to ask that question. Um, no, nothing I can think of. <laughs> um, I just, Thank you for allowing me to share my story and hopefully it'll help someone 
Absolutely. Well, thank you for being open about something that, you know, our society just sees as so dark and it is dark, but unless we shine the light on it, it's never going to change. Any child that continues to feel like it's their fault or they can't talk about it or they're in fear for their lives because a lot of times these molesters will say these horrible things to them, you know, we need to shine the light on that. I always say we've got, you know, campaigns about wear a seatbelt, campaigns about don't do drugs, campaigns about don't smoke, all of these things. But where's the campaign about have your own boundaries and tell? You know, we have see something, say something. I always feel like we should have something that says, like, if someone does something, say something. And you just keep telling until somebody's heard. So it's something that's on my heart. I have never been molested. And I, I, I listen to stories like this, but somehow I just hope that we can make a difference by interviews like this, as I say, on my little show. So thank you so much, Kashan. I truly, truly appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Again, thank you so much, Kashan. Let's just take a moment, take a breath, take a beat. I can't say that uh, that story ends with a happy ending, right? It just, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. And the fact that Kashan still has to deal with this and, you know, has this life experience, but it did end with resilience. She took her power back. That's what happens when these things happen. It's not just a disgusting, unwanted touch. It's about taking the power away from the person that it happened to. And Kashan took her power back. And now she has a full life. She overcame all of that. I cannot fathom wanting to commit suicide at 11 years old let alone actually trying to carry it out, not just having suicidal ideations, but carrying it out. And thank God, thank God it did not work for her. The pain that you have to be in to be in that position when you're 11, when you should just be still playing with toys and thinking about being a preteen and just your future and having fun with your friends. I just cannot imagine that. So the fact that she was able to tell, the fact that she was able to, you know, even move forward in her life and find her way in God, to me, is a beautiful story. I mean, obviously, the bad stuff is not beautiful, right? But I think anyone this happens to has to find their way. It may not be with God. It may be with group therapy. It may be with just spending time with your family or one-on-one -on -one therapy or whatever it is. Journaling, writing a book. I don't know. Thank God this has never happened to me. But whatever it is that was inside Kashan so that she was able to overcome all of this. Because it wasn't just the fact that she was touched. It was the fact that when she told, she wasn't supported. And then when she told again, she wasn't supported. And then other things happened to her. So it just kept getting bad. 
but she's found her way. And instead of, you know, like she said, shoving everything into the closet for the rest of her life and having it ruin her life, you know, maybe she would have become a drug addict or an alcoholic or just a very depressed person, or maybe would have carried out the suicide later in her life. She found a way to have resilience as difficult as that may be. And I will never understand how difficult that was. I don't think any of us can unless you've walked in her shoes. So for anyone out there who has had this happen to them, as I said in the beginning of the show, it's not your fault. It just wasn't your fault and it isn't your fault. And there's a, a sort of a hashtag on social media that says, it gets better. And it does. As someone myself who's dealt with depression and anxiety, I've had some really, really dark times in my life. So dark that it was scary. But I don't feel that way anymore because I hung on because it got better. I did the emotional work, therapy, all kinds of things. If the Jody that was in that dark place had taken her own life, the rest of my story wouldn't have existed. I have a wonderful family, wonderful stepkids, a beautiful, happy, healthy little girl. I have so much to be thankful for because it got better. So if you're out there right now and you're someone who's listened to this interview and maybe you've never told, maybe you've never addressed it, or maybe you're in the process of or in the process of dealing with someone, or maybe you suspect something. You know, that little intuition that sometimes we shoved down, shoved down really deep because we don't want to face the truth. Listen to that intuition. Maybe there's someone in your life that this is happening to right now. Listen to that intuition. So I'm no expert on this topic. I did my research. I understand it. I haven't experienced it. And I even had second thoughts about putting this interview out because I thought, do people really want to listen to this? Podcasts are supposed to be entertainment. But for me, this show has always been, as I say in the intro, stories and observations beyond small talk. And obviously, this episode isn't small talk. It's a serious topic that we just don't like to talk about. But I think it's important. I think it's important to talk about these things and keep talking about them. So we can peel back the layers of the secrets and the hiding and the shame that is associated with all of this. And maybe, just maybe, if I help one person listening today in some way involved with all of this, then I've done my job.
then it's okay that this isn't entertainment. I don't know. Anyway, thank you guys for listening to this. I guess by now it's a double episode, longer than I used to uh, usually like to go. Um, thank you, Kashan. You're my hero. I mean, for being brave enough to speak out. She could easily just be like, okay, that's good. I'm done. I'm never going to talk about this. But she speaks out. And I believe her story will help someone. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Krishan. It's been a difficult topic, but in the end, I'm glad I did this interview. That's what I think anyway. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Hey,